Lindsay, let's give the Lord one more hand this morning for how good he is to us and how awesome it is to be able to worship him together. If you got a Bible, we are in Psalm 119 for a second week in a row, but we're going to be beginning uh, in the third stanza. We talked last week how this psalm is broken up into 22 stanzas. We're not spending 22 weeks in the psalm, don't worry, <laughs> but uh, we'll be looking at stanza three and a few others this morning. So if you got a Bible, we'd love for you to go ahead and find your place there. If you haven't uh, found or it's if you can't find it, it's kind of in the middle of uh, the Old Testament. Um, and if you find the psalm that never ends, you found, uh, you found our, our, our study for today. Um, but it's going to be the third stanza. Um, your Bible may have a heading above this stanza. It's the, uh, the Hebrew word gimel, which is the third letter in the Hebrew alphabet, uh, which we talked last week about how this psalm is really a love letter to the, Hebrew, to the Hebrew scriptures, to the Bible. And it uses the Hebrew alphabet in a way um, that it really is astounding. Um, if you missed that, that would be great to go back and check up on. But today, um, we're going to be looking at some, some really awesome uh, truth from God's Word. Uh, beginning in verse number 17, reading down through 24. David writes, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my Counselors. We hear David refer to God's word in many different ways. Word, testimonies, law, commandments, statutes, judgments, uh, all those speaking of the word of God, speaking of the Bible as a whole. Um, before we kind of break down this psalm, I want to kind of get us all to a place where I think we can agree and, and hopefully uh, we can relate this morning. Uh, does anybody here like to collect things? You want, if you want to slip your hand up, you don't have to tell what you collect. I, some collectors, so at least this introduction won't be um, completely off the wall for everybody. Um, if not, you know someone that this is about, right? Um, if you're like me, you like to collect things, uh, and maybe you wouldn't call it collecting. Maybe you would call it just wanting to have more than one of something, right? Uh, even if you don't necessarily need those th somethings, right? Usually collecting involves things that you don't need or more of something that you don't need. I, I think there have been collectors as long as there have been people. I think history pretty much tells that. But of course, some of us have it worse than others, have the bug more than others. Some people collect cars. You go in people's you know, garages and it's just lines of cars. And like, what are they doing with the, all these cars? They're just looking at them, really. That's all they do. If you touch them, they get upset. Uh, um, really. But some people collect cars. Some people collect cards. Uh, some people collect art or china. Some people collect toys, right? Uh, some people, uh, you know, collect all sorts of things. Now, you may not be a collector. But perhaps you like being in possession of certain things. You wouldn't say you're a collector, you just like having stuff, which kind of makes you a collector, but that's a whole other thing. Um, maybe you like having multiple things, multiple copies or multiple versions of the same things. Maybe you collect, maybe you have a closet full of clothes, which yeah, you don't collect clothes, but you sure do have a lot of them. So maybe kind of the same thing there. Uh, maybe you have a lot of shoes, maybe you have a lot of pets, uh, maybe you have a lot of tools or gear. And again, you don't need these things or you don't need all of these things, but you just kind of have a lot of them and the things that you like you kind of like to get 
more. That's just kind of part of our nature, isn't it? Maybe you've completely detached yourself from material. Maybe you, you are somebody who you don't need anything. You divest yourself of all possessions. And if you are, I'll support you from the month from now on because you've got something that most people don't. But I have a hunch that all of us, and maybe it varies in different seasons of our lives, but I think all of us can, desi- can, can relate to this desire to collect or just have things and have more of those things than we might need. Now, some might call it hoarding, some might call it saving, but we'll call it collecting for today. Uh, now, again, some people have yards full, closets full, garages full, shops full, totes full, cabinets full, rooms full, homes full, maybe. Uh, If you're like me now, all of us are collectors in some fashion or another. And I speak from experience. I collect a lot of things today. It's not about me though. It's about you. It's about all of us. Um, While you might not give much thought to why you collect, I'm self-aware enough that, uh, you know, I've got some quirks that I like to kind of bring under the examination uh, light every once in a while because I want to make sure that I'm not, you know, dodging my own sermon. So uh, all of us have those quirks and I like to bring mine under the light every once in a while. Now, not because I feel bad about it. Heck no. I love what I love, and I don't think there's nothing wrong with that, uh, as long as it's you know, in line with, with what is right and, and what, is, uh, what is good. Now, I think the Lord enjoys seeing us enjoy things that he puts in this world and allows to be in this world. I truly believe that. So I don't bring this under the light because I want to feel bad about it or think I should feel bad about it. I just think that there's something behind this that might help us see something bigger. Now, I, I still often wonder, uh, why do we have this desire to collect? Why do we have this almost nature to hoard? And and why do we want multiple versions of the same things? Why do we want to upgrade when something we've got isn't broken or it doesn't even need to be upgraded? Why do we want to be able to open the fridge or the closet or the chest and see more than what we could ever really use? Maybe it's a first world problem, but I believe this has been with humanity as long as we've been on this earth. Now, I've done a little research on this subject, and I'd like to share my findings. I don't necessarily agree with all the research that I did and all the things that I found, but I'm just going to give you the very upper crust of what I found. Experts suggest, which a lot of experts out there, but I kind of agree with these guys. Experts suggest that humans love to collect because of a combination of passion and anxiety. Passion and anxiety. It's obvious that human beings are wired to be passionate creatures, that we have in our created being an interest and are driven to meet those interests and invest in those interests. We have different interests from each other. We are all unique, but we all have in us a passion and a a capacity for passion. You know, as Christians, we believe that God creates us with a unique measure and style and brand of passion. We're not all the same, and that glorifies God in that. God created all of us with a capacity for passion. And this is something that's obvious when observing humans in any environment, in any generation. But there's also this element of anxiety that drives these tendencies. And this might be a little bit too close to home for you, but I'll admit this is true for me. Human beings, we're well aware of two things. If if we're aware of anything, I think these two things are on our list. We are well aware of what we want and what we don't have. Isn't it true that if someone were to ask you, what are you certain about? Well, I'm sure you are certain of the things that you wish you had and the things that you know you don't have uh, and, and would like to have, right? And it's often in this imbalance of wanting some things and not having some things, not being able to get those things. It's in this imbalance, which is determined by a number of different factors. This imbalance often fuels anxiety, uneasiness, 
uncertainty, and it's often fueled by our passions. And this is where collecting comes in. And again, you might not agree, but this is what some people have agreed on. Collecting, whether it's non-essential goods or whether it's just luxuries that nobody needs or whether it's things that everybody could use, collecting helps impose a sense of order in our lives. Now, impose is the idea that it doesn't really bring anything of order to our lives. It doesn't do anything to actually stabilize us when we need in the way that we need it. But it helps to create this image, this facade, this idea of order, that collecting helps to impose a sense of order in our lives. It checks a box in our brain that makes us think, you know what? Things are stable, things are secure. I feel better because of this stuff that by no means can actually make me feel better, but it makes you feel, right? There's some weird thing going on there between the stuff in our brain. And, and even if what we collect brings zero gain to our lives, it does something to our psychology, doesn't it? It does something to help alleviate that anxiety and makes us feel full. Now, this might be too much of a head examination for you and for your taste, and it's Sunday at 11. I mean, what are we doing? But I think that if we're being honest, I think this is a pretty spot on. I think you'll agree that this is kind of why we collect. It's why we save. It's why we have stuff maybe more than what we would ever need or use. We collect, we acquire, we save, we compile because of this combination, because of this blend of passion and anxiety, because of our capacity for love and our propensity for fear, because we have a capacity to love things and we have this propensity to be afraid of a life without those things. Now, there's a phenomena that often goes along with this bug, this collecting bug. Doesn't always happen, not all, in all cases, but to many of them, often there's something in our brains that convinces us that the things that we collect, we shouldn't touch. Have you ever been there? The things that we think we need, we don't even use. And we feel like, well, I can't really enjoy them because of all these weird gymnastics that we go through in our brain. Maybe you've been there before. And maybe this is the same thing that causes you to not want certain people to touch certain things in your home. You may not have a lot of them, but the one that you do have, you don't want people being too rowdy around. Maybe it's that same thing in your brain that gets a little bit when somebody gets too close to that or touches that or does something with it that you didn't want them to. Could it be? Now, it makes no sense that we're like that, but maybe it's just me, but I think this leans into more of the anxiety than the passion. But if we really love something, we don't want to lose it. And that might be part of it too. It's true, I think, we psych ourselves out of truly enjoying something, utilizing something out of some misplaced sense in this elevated sense of worth we attached to that object. Can anybody, can anybody relate to this whole problem that I've talked about this morning? Maybe some of you, uh, which I hope somebody can. You know, I, I'm up here giving these analogies sometimes and I'm telling myself the whole time, nobody can relate to you, Justin. Why do you even try? Now, some pastors are so relatable. They're better storytellers than they are preachers. I think I'm a little better on the preaching side so that at least makes it uphill climb from this. So um, anyways, we began our study last week in Psalm 119, uh, which is an ancient song, an acoustic song written as a love letter to God's word. Uh, it's a psalm composed by David for, in his worship team. And his goal in writing this psalm is pretty simple. It's to express gratitude for and create a desire for God's word. So it's to express his gratitude and carry our gratitude. And it's to create a desire for God's word. Because we believe and we've decided that God's word is the greatest resource humanity will ever lay its hands on or ever lay its eyes on. 
We've repeated that refrain a lot over the last two weeks and we'll keep doing that because I want that to be etched in your mind, in your hearts. Another thing that we repeated a lot last time and what will anchor this conversation in today and what should encourage us to take this series so seriously uh, and as a result, the Bible take it more seriously Psalm 119 stakes a flag in the ground around this truth. And it's what we observe all throughout the psalm. That God's word and our walk are intrinsically connected. That you cannot separate them. That God's work, word has an influence on our walk. And the idea is that our character and our conduct will only be as healthy as our relationship is with God and his word. You may not agree with that. You may think, I don't know about that. But the Bible, David writing this psalm definitely agrees with that. That he is talking to God about, hey, my walk is only going to be as good as my knowledge of and my relationship with you and your word. And I believe that we as Christians cannot run away from this. God's word and our walk are connected. Our character and our conduct will only be as healthy as our relationship with God and his word. David praises God in his word for being essential for equipping us for purpose in this world, informing and directing our walk. And the thing is, Psalm 119 is just a teaser. It's just a taste of what the rest of the Bible has in store for us. It's really pointing to the rest of this remarkable, this truly great resource. Remember what we learned. God's word is the breath of God on a page. His spirit moves from page to person. Revelation and inspiration, revealing truth and inspiring difference. That's what God's word does to anybody and everybody that opens it and reads it with a sincere heart. Revealing truth, inspiring difference. Taking us to the threshold of a life with minimum regret and maximum clarity. Which wouldn't we all love to live there? You can. We, why wouldn't we want more of what God has to show and say to us? Why wouldn't we want more of what God wants to do for us and through us, the power behind the word of God in us? Who doesn't want that? We're just getting started with this psalm. And of course, our agenda and our aim each week is to come to the well that is God's word and be purified and be revived by the spirit of God that moves from page to person. We do that and we'll always do that here at Risen Church because we believe that God's word is indeed the greatest resource available to mankind. Beyond that though, our focus for today is to understand and uncover that God's word is our portion. God's word is our portion. You may have heard this phrase before, might not be one you use a lot, but portion means uh, the share that has been allotted to us. It refers to what has been made available to us by the, 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 based on the relationship we have. It's the idea of having an inheritance. That our portion, you could define it as our share, our equity, our piece of the pie, if you will. So while a resource is something available or potentially accessible, a share or a gifted portion is something assigned and awarded to us. So while we've talked about how God's word is a resource, the greatest resource available and accessible, we're going beyond that today because God's word is more than just a resource or something on a shelf, which it is that, it always will be that. 
But for you as a believer or for you as someone who is seeking God, it's more important than that and it's more special than that. Not only is it a resource available to you, it is a share or a gifted portion assigned to you, deeded to you, awarded to you. To say that God is our portion, our prize, our exceedingly great reward is pretty big talk, isn't it? But this is a major theme that David praises uh, as this psalm continues in crescendos. In our study today, we're going to unpack what it means to know God's word as our portion. We've opened today by reading the third stanza. We're going to read the fifth and eighth stanzas before we're over with today. But I want to spend a little time in 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 this third stanza before we move on. I want to look at these verses kind of out of order because I believe something that he says later actually helps interpret the few things that he says first. So I want you to focus on verse number 20 with me. Highlight this, if you will. Now, your Bible may say it may phrase it a little differently, but what we read earlier, verse 20 says, My soul breaks with longing for your judgments. And judgments is just another way of saying your word, your law, your rules, your commandments. Notice David is using those interchangeably. We talked last week, the reason why is because he's pulling from all different Hebrew uh, letters and, 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 and parameters that he put himself in, which is why he's us, using all these different ways to refer to the same thing, which is God's word. But he says, my soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all Times. Now, at first glance, the, the idea that my soul is breaking does not sound positive. Maybe you think, well, that's kind of a bad thing. What does that mean? I promise you this is not a negative thing. Even if the phrase would usually make us suspect such, he is saying to God or really requesting from God that God might show him more, that God might reveal to him as much as possible because of this longing that is in him and this confidence that it can only be quenched one way through one source, through one portion. Look at verse number 17. David says, Lord, give, deal your servant, uh, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. So in verse 17, he prays for a long life, not selfishly, which is not really selfish to pray that, but David says, I don't wanna just live long to live long. I wanna live long so I can discover more of you and follow your word. I wanna live long so I might show the world what a life lived according to God's plan looks like. Would you think, man, is somebody really that pure? I mean, is he really praying with that kind of purity? I believe so. He is asking God to give him a long life just so he might know more and keep God's word more, which is really remarkable. In verse 18, he prays that God would open his eyes that he might see more clearly and comprehend more clearly the word of God. In verse 19, he confesses his inability to know everything that he needs to know in and of himself and how he must rely on God to complete him. He says, I'm a stranger on this earth. As in, God, you are the creator. You are the one who designed all things. You're the master. You're the all-knowing one. Without your guidance, without your commandments, I'm lost. I think that's what verse 19 is supposed to, to, to communicate to us, that God's word is the key for us knowing what to even do with our next step. One of the commentators put it this way. Human intelligence does not suffice to fathom the will of God. The mortal is a stranger on the earth. Both time and strength are wanting to attain to knowledge which only divine wisdom can teach. 
That is what David is confessing here in these first three verses of our stanza. He makes it to a point here in verse 19. I'm a stranger. I need what only you and your word can show me. Open my eyes that I may not miss this. You know, a verse that kind of we've all heard before that helps to interpret this some more is from 1 Corinthians. And and you've, you've read this verse before. Listen to what Paul says. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then, talking about eternity, we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know in full, even as I've been fully known by God. Right now, our only hope is to be guided by the light of God as we live in a dark world. Our only hope is the lamp of God's word. And of course, Jesus came, the light of the world, embodied this and explained this. And he left his word, revealed himself in his word to guide us, to reveal to us and inspire us a life that can please God, a life that can please ourselves. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free from the darkness and from the chains of this world. Again, David says, Lord, without you, I do not know where to go or what to do. What if we were that dependent on God's word to guide us? Truth be told, we should be that dependent on God's word. The sooner we realize that and confess that and anchor our lives in that, the better in every aspect they will be. Just think about it. Humanity is well aware of our shortcomings. Humanity is well aware of its gaps. We we are surrounded by ads and proposals on how to overcome these gaps. Whether it's relationship advice, financial advice, professional or career advice, we have access to education. We carry around computers in our pockets Just imagine what life was like before you could Google something in an instant. We don't have to wait to get home to a library or a bookshelf. We can get any bit of information we need from our pockets. We like to present ourselves as we're informed on every subject, but honestly, at best, we only know a little bit. And we, what we do know, it's because we've been trained in, we've been educated in, we, maybe we have observed it through osmosis, but what we do know, it's because we've learned it, right? And add to the things that really matter in life, add to that our accountability to God, our responsibility to love one another and do good to one another. On top of that, our understanding, uh, our fallen nature, our sinful bent If we're being honest, there is a tremendous need within all of us to turn to God for the most vital and practical truths and the advice that we can't find anywhere else. Again, his word, we find in it his wisdom, which is full of revelation and inspiration regarding morality, ethics, relationship advice from our families to our friends to our enemies. We read about what to do in the face of great opportunities, how to handle the most dreadful of circumstances. God's word grounds us and guides us in all of these. For when we come up against temptation, when we face trials, God's word shows us the way. When we're wondering what to do with our money, when we're curious about how to prioritize our lives or order our, 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 our days, God's word shows us the way. His word gives us counsel mentally and emotionally. This should be the basis and inform all the other counsel we seek in here. Church, we are just strangers on this earth. We are 
temporary occupants. We are mere mortals. We are guests in a world created by God, pummeled by sin that tries to destroy us. Our only hope, which would be you know, scary if we did not have God's word as readily available as we do. Our only hope is to be like David and come before God with earnestness, with the desire for more, more of his word. And that brings us back to verse 20. David says, my soul breaks with longing. The idea there is his soul is heavy with this longing. Maybe you felt that heaviness before. Maybe you didn't know what your soul was trying to tell you that heaviness was wanting. His soul was breaking. This is the context we know. We know this isn't a bad thing, but this is just David's way of expressing that he knows his soul needs guidance that this world cannot give. David, already well-versed in God's word, acquainted with God's word, right here, and he feels this incredible longing to know more because David knows the only path forward the only path forward wherein he finds fulfillment and peace and success where it counts is going to be paved by God. Another way to translate this verse would be this. David says, my soul is consumed with a longing for God's word at all times. You may not know this about your soul, but this verse is teaching us this about our souls. Your soul, my soul, our soul is consumed with a longing at all times. There is a hunger and a thirst and eagerness and a desire for more knowledge of God and more knowledge about God, more inspiration, more revelation from God's word. Now, I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know where this lands with you. Maybe you're like most Christians, and I don't mean this to be punitive toward anybody, Maybe you're like most Christians and you've been told the Bible is important. You've got a few. You read it sometimes. You've been told the Bible is important but, and you've put your faith in Jesus, but that does not mean that you really have a deep knowledge or relationship with his word. If we're just being honest, that describes most of us, doesn't it? But back to what we talked about earlier. It is in all of us to want more of something we like. Something that we know is good for us or makes us feel good. Isn't it true? That's where that collector streak comes from in you. That's the thing that makes you want more of something. That's the thing that makes you want to save something. There is in all of us this longing for more. A passion for certain things, an anxiety over certain things. Our nature, our natural response or reaction to these propensities is to search for something or some things, to fill this void within us that might satisfy our passions, calm our anxieties. It's usually at the intersection of these two realities, it's usually where these two quests meet that we find ourselves living our lives. It's from there that we live hoping to protect what we've got and add more to it. This can range from information, education, and just plain possessions. Now, this message isn't to suggest that any of us, any of those endeavors are bad. Most of them aren't. But it's to help us realize that we already know the answer to our longingness in our souls. We already know the answer because it's revealed to us by our collector's spirit. 
We already know the answer to our great longing, to our greater cry. What if we could channel that collector spirit into what matters most? Because what if? What if God is inviting us to know him deeply and personally? What if that is true? I think it is. What if God is inviting us to know him deeply and personally? And what if his word is his revelation and inspiration unto us? What if his word is his revelation and inspiration unto us that we might know more about him and have more of him in our lives? Is that something you're, you think is worth risking missing out on? What if the word of God is the breath of God on the page? What if the Holy Spirit does in fact see to it personally to move from page to person? And what if he is willing and ready to answer your heart's greatest desires and cry every time you turn to him? What if he really is that readily available to you? What if your relationship with God isn't just contingent on how good church was every week or how convincing the preacher was or how compelling the music was? What if your peace with and from God isn't based on how you feel every morning when you wake up or how work goes on a certain day or what the economy or politics look like? What if it doesn't have to be influenced by social media or news media? What if it doesn't matter that things aren't going as you wish they were personally or professionally for you? What if you could answer your soul's cry in a better, more sure-fired way? And what if God could answer that need right now? And not just now, but every single day through an avenue that is always a sure thing. What if your soul longs for more? And what if God's word is your portion? What if God's word is your inheritance? What if God's word has been deeded to you, the goodness of God, the way of God, the power of God, the spirit of God? What if God's word shows to you your exceedingly great reward? It's been there the whole time. Jesus told two parables back to back that have the potential to change your life. If you'll hear them, even if you don't believe them, just consider if they are true, what this might mean. These parables are about the kingdom of heaven as what a life can look like that is surrendered to God and seeking him above all things. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. You know what Jesus is saying there? That the kingdom of heaven, a life surrendered to God, a life searching out the scriptures, following God's way, putting God above everything else. The kingdom of God is like someone who was told there is treasure in this field. It's marked there. It's somewhere in there. If you just buy the field and you excavate the entire field, you'll find it in his joy. He sold everything to buy the field just for a chance to find the treasure. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. This merchant was a collector. He loved fine pearls because of their great value, because of maybe he just liked them, I don't know. 
who finding one pearl of great value sold everything that he had for that one. Church as a pastor, as a preacher, as somebody who communicates God's word regularly, my greatest sense of obligation is always to convey the joy that is found and only found in knowing Jesus. Pursuing Jesus, experiencing Jesus. God forbid I or anybody that holds this book professionally ever let anybody walk away with an undervalued or an underestimation of the value of a life in the kingdom of God following the greater path available to us. And God forbid I or anyone make you think that you can only find this in a certain place at a certain time in a certain atmosphere. It is available to every single one of you on a daily, hourly, minute by minute basis. You see these quests, this quest is not driven by anxiety, but rather the end of anxiety. Because in Christ, we find someone who calms those fears and worries about finding security for our souls. This quest is completely driven by our capacity for a passion for God. I say capacity because we humans will spend this passion on everything for God, everything uh, but God. Jesus stands before us with open arms calling us to him. Not everyone has that sell everything for the field attitude. Not everyone has that sell everything for the one pearl ambition. But Jesus never envisioned nor endorsed a kingdom where there are different tiers of Christians. Jesus would never have envisioned and never endorsed a kingdom where only some people stumbled down that road. Do you hear me? Where some are in the shallow end and some go back and forth and only a few go deep. And listen, you should never be satisfied with a lesser version of Christianity that is joyless and fleeting. And God forbid anybody ever sell you on that lesser version because they're lying to you and they're holding back the greatest treasure you can ever find. At the beach a few weeks ago, I set out and looked at the ocean and considered God's word and I could just feel God calling me deeper and felt so foolish for wasting and spending life on lesser things. And you can see that some people are brave enough, we might say crazy enough, to go deep. I was reminded of the verses from Job chapter 11 where Job says, can you find out the deep things of God? Surely you can't. Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than the heavens. Who can go? Who, who, what can you do? Deeper than Sheol, what can you know? It is a measure, uh, its measure is longer than the earth. It's broader than the sea. And Job thought, there's no way to know everything. There's no way to know more. We are so far away. But <laughs> the good news is, that is not the case any longer. No longer are God's commandments hidden from us as David worried about. Christianity is the answer that yes, we can know the deep things of God, that God's word is the revelation and inspiration that is not just given to a few people, but to given to all people. 
Paul says his entire goal as a preacher was that, we, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, listen, that you does not have an asterisk on it. It's not just to people that go to seminary. It's not just to people that don't have anything else they have to do. It's not just to rich people or poor people or single people or married people. It's to everybody, you that you might have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and the length and the height and the depth that is the love of Christ. Let's go to the next. That we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Again, you means you. There are no excuses. There are no limitations. There are no things that disqualify you. There's only the enemy's deception. Listen here, church. God's word is the tangible, because you can hold it and see it, the tangible, full expression of what is otherwise elusive and mysterious. We can know more about the Lord and acquire more knowledge about him, details about him. Therefore, our lives are better for it. We can be set free. The only question is, are we allowing this greater desire to guide us. Think about all the instincts and unctions that we are driven by. How quick are we to obey those things? Instantly almost, right? Yet within every one of us is this same longing that David writes about. Yet even David was aware that unless he remained vigilant and reliant and disciplined, he too could slip away from this place. Down in the fifth stanza, listen to David pray that God might keep him at this place of passion. I want you to consider if you make his words your words. I want us to, as a church to consider if we will pray this stanza over the next week and beyond. Listen to David in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I will observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in your path, in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness or selfish gain. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things, vain things, temporary things, and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach or my regret, which I dread." For your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. So again, you may not believe this as sincerely as David did or as I've tried to express it today, but I want you to consider, what if David was right? What if God's word isn't just right in telling us this, but what if we can follow it and what if it can take us to this right place? What if God's word is our portion? our share, the gift of God unto us that can enlighten us and enable us to embrace God's plan and truly enjoy life. That's a question I hope that you ask yourself every day when you're tempted to not open God's word and not study God's word and not defer to God's word and obey God's word. When you're tempted to choose something that God's word says is right and something the world says is right or when something that your own gut says is right, I hope you'll ask this, self, this question, what if God's word is my portion, it is my gift, it is my inheritance, and that can enable me and enlighten me to embrace the plan of God and enjoy life to the fullest.
it may look very different than the rest of the world, and it's most likely going to. But is that a reason to miss out on it? In closing, look at the eighth stanza. That's verse 57 through 61. We'll just read half of it. I encourage you to read this entire psalm, but I want to close with this, these last few verses. You're wondering where we got the whole portion thing from. Here it is. You are my portion, O Lord. I have said I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, temptations and trials, but I have not forgotten your law. Church, God's word brings you to the door of the promised land. That phrase portion can often be understood as share or prize, but also territory. God's word brings us to a dwelling place, a dwelling place where we are with God and God is with us, where we are with him and he is with us. Laid before every one of you today is an invitation to go deeper and find better. You know, if you've never been saved, never a moment, uh, there, there, never a moment where you chose to follow Jesus repenting of your sin and turning to him above all things, this might be the best way to hear this plea from David because you've been given the full gospel. You've been given what it means to know God deeply and fully. This is the cross. Jesus died to free you from sin and resurrect you into eternal life. His spirit moves in to change and give you kingdom power, true joy. For many Christians, we've heard a watered down and cheapened version of the gospel that comforts us in taking a small step and as a result we often choose worthless things over God the invitation is for everyone to see God as the beginning of a brand new walk a brand new life a brand new world the Lord can be your portion today he is your exceedingly great reward and your soul longs to know him and God's word is his gift to you to guide you in every step I'd like to ask you to take this fifth and eighth stanza and repeat them and pray them over the next couple of days. But I wanna confess kind of an abridged version together before we close. It's a combination that I think will help close our time in an appropriate way. So like we've done before, I'm gonna read this confession. Again, it pulls from both verse uh, stanza five and stanza eight. I'm gonna read this confession, then I want us to say it together. If you want what God has for you, Would you join me in praying this sincere and earnest prayer? Lord, I believe that you are my portion. I feel my soul longing for what only you can give. Teach me, O oh Lord, the way of your word. And help me to desire it. Understand it. And follow it my, with my whole heart. Incline my heart to your way. Not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from vanity. 
and make me settle for nothing less than your will. Keep me from regret and remind me of your promises. Ground me in and guide me with your word. Now, just praying that prayer doesn't make the difference, but meaning it does. And sincerely going to God every day of our lives and saying, God, I know what you've given me. I want what you've given me. Incline my heart towards no other fount, no other well, no other resource, no other portion. Would anybody be willing to respond to God in a major way, in a life-changing way? I don't know where you are with your walk with Jesus. Maybe you've yet to begin one in an earnest and genuine way. Maybe you're not satisfied with where you have been or where you are going, and you want to step out today and ask for more. Commit to trusting in God's word to show you more. Maybe you've got some things you need to lay down and blessings you want to pick up. The Lord is your portion. And don't you want to know him more? And don't you want all he has for you? Today's your day. Today can be a brand new day. Don't miss it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, to say and to know that you are our portion to hold the Bible as something deeded to us, as our inheritance. Lord, it's too good, it's too rich, it's too awesome for us to even say in a, in a flimsy way. God, you have been so good to us and your word is so clear and so powerful and so personal. Lord, I pray that everybody in the house today would feel you calling to them and, 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 and leading them and inclining their hearts to a better way and a more fulfilled and more joyful life. Lord, maybe there's someone who's never been saved and they want to start out their faith in this place of sincerity, in this place of dependence, in this place of earnestness. They want to turn away from sin and turn away from this world and put their faith in Jesus because they believe that there is joy to be found in him that cannot found, be found anywhere else, that he is what their soul is longing for. Lord, for every Christian here today, there's something in their hearts that's crying out for more. They may have been doing this a long time, but there's more for them. There's another mountain to climb, another water to part. There's more that you want to do in and through them and with them. And Lord, today, I pray they would turn off all the competitive things and tune into you. Lord, maybe somebody can respond today in a major way and see their life change. Maybe they'll be freed from sin, freed from temptation. Maybe they'll be freed from some burden or some pain. Lord, if you can move in this house today, we pray that you might would make a difference in our lives. Help us to take your word seriously and sacredly and help us to delight in knowing that you and your word are our portion forever. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.